Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. You've made the best decision you could possibly make by tuning your ear to the Word of God. I would love to invite you to stay updated with us on Facebook and YouTube. You can find us at Revival House Church. Father, bless this person and let the seed of the Word multiply 30, 60, and 100 times over in Jesus' name. Today I'm going to address the question, what do you do when it's time to use your faith? What do you do when it's time to use your faith? Right? So, give you a couple of scriptures here to start this out. 2 Corinthians 5.7. It says, for we walk by faith and not by sight. So what does that mean? Apparently, if we walk by faith and not by sight, There will come times in your life where what you see is contrary to what you believe, right? That something is going to conflict in your life. There's going to be a mountain. There's going to be an obstacle. There might be a problem that seems to arise in some moment of your life where it's conflicting with what God has said about you in the Bible. So here's what we're going to address today. What do you do when you enter into those situations? What do you do when what you see is conflicting with what the Bible says or what you believe? Mark eleven twenty three. 23, Assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, say mountain, be removed and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believe those things which he says will be done. He will have whatever he says. Here's kind of the point I want to emphasize. There will be mountains that need to be moved. Oh, amen, come on. The Lord doesn't give us faith or we don't need faith to just sit in the lazy boy and watch the Vikings play the Cowboys and have Cheeto stains on our hands. No, there will be things that that, that contradict what you believe. There will be things that in the natural, you're saying this is what it looks like. There will be mountains that have to be moved, obstacles. Say obstacles. And what I want to help you do is the Bible doesn't teach us. Everybody kind of believes in this, you know, mountain climbing Christianity, that whenever you're faced with an obstacle or a problem that we just, that's just part of life, right? That's just part of it. You just got to hike up that mountain. That's not what Jesus said. He said, speak to the mountain and command it to be removed. Speak to the problem, speak to the obstacle, whatever you're confronted with that is, you may see it, but it's conflicting with what the Bible says. You don't have to endure through that obstacle. You can remove it. Amen. And so I want to help give you, what do you do? What do you do? I'll give you some very practical examples. What do you do when it's time to use your faith? What do you do when you get a negative health report? What if you go to the doctor, you get a a screening, and they come back, and they say something that your ears don't want to hear? What do you do in that moment? I want to really tell you that your faith isn't, isn't really tested or the gauge of your faith isn't tested when you're sitting in the lazy boy watching football with Cheeto stains on your hand. Your faith is really gauged and tested of what you do in those moments when you're confronted with an obstacle, right? So what do you do when you get a negative health report? What do you do when it seems like you go through a time where your finances aren't lining up with what the Word of God says, Right? We've been preaching about, I just finished a series on, is it God's will that you prosper? You should have that doctrine in you and out of you and solidified in your mind and in your spirit. But what do you do when you enter into a situation where you're saying, Lord, I'm looking at my bank account and it, it, it ain't looking like what the word says? What do you do? 
What do you do when you have a dream, when you have a vision, when God has given you something, but everything in your life, there's just obstacles. You don't see how am I going to accomplish what the Lord has set me out to accomplish. What do you do? That's what we're going to talk about this morning. What do you do when it's actually time to use your faith? So turn your Bible to Mark chapter 5. 35 through 43 is what we're going to read here. Jesus showed us, he modeled for us what we do when it's time to use our faith. Mark 5, let's read this. It says, while he was still speaking to her. So give you some backstory here. This man came to Jesus and he said, my daughter's, my daughter's home. She's sick. She's dying. Will you come and touch her? Will you come and pray for her? So Jesus is on his way to minister to this child. And on his way, this is where anybody ever heard about the, the woman with the issue of blood? You've ever heard that story? On his way, some woman crawls up behind him as he's walking, touches the hem of his garment, gets healed. He says, woman, your faith has made you whole. Go in peace. Amen. And so after this encounter... He's sitting here having this conversation, this, this unexpected healing takes place. While he was speaking to her, the messenger arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue, and they told him, your daughter is dead, right? So Jairus comes to Jesus saying, my daughter needs to be healed. Something happens in the way where they're, they're interacting with another woman, and while they're in this interaction, the servant comes to Jairus, the man who's leading Jesus to his home and says, your daughter's dead. There is no use in troubling the teacher now. Listen to this. But Jesus overheard them and said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just have faith. Hallelujah. Then Jesus stopped the crowd and wouldn't let anyone go with him except Peter, James, John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw much commotion and weeping and wailing. And he went inside and asked, why all this commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead. She's only asleep. Y'all listen, listen to this. Listen how faith talks. The child isn't dead. She's only asleep. You know, faith talks a certain way. The crowd laughed at him. If you're going to be a person of faith, you better just get ready because people are going to mock you. People are going to laugh at you. When you get vision from God and you begin to believe these things that in the flesh they seem outlandish, go ahead and get ready. People will laugh at you. They laughed. They mocked him. But he made them all leave. And he took the girl's father and mother and his three disciples into the room where the girl was lying. Holding her hand, he said to her, I'm going to try this. This is in Hebrew here. Talitha koam, which means little girl, get up. And the girl, who was 12 years old, immediately stood up and walked around. Hallelujah. They were overwhelmed and totally amazed. Jesus gave them strict orders not to tell anyone what had happened. And then he told them to give her something to eat. You know, Jesus really modeled for us. What do you do when it's actually time to use your faith? What do you do? Whenever you're, you're, you're believing for something and then you get the report, the daughter, hey, she's already dead. It's already too late. It's already over. What is it that you do in that moment? This is what we're going to talk about this morning. Hallelujah. So number one, let's start with this. Number one, what do you do? You reject fear 
and you stand in faith. Look at verse 36 here. Jesus overheard them. Give y'all a second there to turn that down. Jesus overheard them, and he said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just have faith. Number one, write this down, let's talk about it. Reject fear and stand in faith. Say amen. Reject fear, stand in faith. What do you do when you enter into a situation, right, we're talking about you get a negative, let's say a negative health report. What, is, what do you do when you're a Christian, you're believing the word of God, you're believing the promises, and all of a sudden you go and you get a test or something done and you get a report that's contrary to what the word of God says. Number one, you have to reject fear and stand in faith. Jesus said in verse 36, Right, he's listening to this leader, this servant, run up to Jairus. Hey, the little girl's dead. Jesus stopped the situation and says, listen, Jairus, listen to me right now. Before you have another thought that comes into your head, do not be afraid. Just have faith. Hallelujah. I just love that because we're going to talk about this. You must do this up front. I want you to say up front. Say it again. Say up front. Say it again. Say up front. You have to do this up front. What I love is Jesus didn't keep his mouth shut, right? He didn't just let the servant give that news and then go on about his way and, well, we're going to get there and do the miracle anyways. He stopped and he said, Jairus, tell that guy to shut up. Look at me. Look at me. Don't be afraid. Don't listen to that word. Don't let that spirit, we'll talk about that in a moment, come on you. Just believe. Just have faith. Right? Say up front. I want to teach you this principle in life. Do not react to problems or issues. Respond. Don't react. When things happen, when mountains come, when reports, when, when things come to test what it is that you believe, do not react. What I mean by react is what most people do. We start freaking out. We were to hear that report, we fall on the ground and we crumble and, and we're just flailing all over the place and we're stressing and we're worrying and we start talking and running our mouth. How is it that, the, man, this kind of stuff always happens to me. I knew that this was going to happen. We just start reacting. Right? We just react, but we don't need to react. We need to, what Jesus was telling Jairus, stop and respond in faith. Don't react to your problems, respond. When you're confronted with a mountain, don't react in fear. Reject fear and stand in faith. Re say reject fear. And this is what people try to do. Say up front one more time. What people try to do is, number one, they just literally, they're dominated by the mountain. Mountains come, and instead of standing in faith, speaking to the mountain, commanding it to move, and rejecting that fear, that doubt, that unbelief, they just react, and they lose themselves, and that's, the, that's really the routine that most Christians, a lot of Christians live in. They don't really use their faith. They're just running from, just jumping from one problem to another problem to another problem, and that's the, the cycle of their life. Or there's another group of Christians that they believe the word of God, but what do they do? They react first and respond later. 
Can I tell you something? That the first words that come out of your mouth when your faith is tested are extremely important. Say the first words come out of my mouth need to be words of faith. Because what we actually do is, again, we'll freak out, we'll, we'll react, we'll lose it, we'll get in doubt, we'll get in unbelief, we'll throw all of this seed out of our mouth, right? We'll just start vomiting, word vomiting up everywhere. And then after a little bit, we'll settle down and we'll try to collect ourselves and, okay, it's time to be a Christian again. It's time to go back to what the word says. And then we'll try to come behind it in faith, but that doesn't, that doesn't work. Say up front, you have to reject fear, and stand in faith. It's too late. I want you to hear this. You cannot have doubt and miracles. You cannot say, I cannot have doubt and miracles. You know, as a Christian, we have to wage war against unbelief in our life. You have to wage war against unbelief and doubt in your heart. You have to wage war against unbelief and doubt in your mind. You have to wage war against uh, unbelief and doubt coming out of your mouth. Because there's one thing the Bible's clear about. You cannot have doubt and have miracles at the same time. Why do you think Jesus, like if it didn't matter, would he have even said anything? Would have even stopped Jairus and said, Jairus, listen, stop before this goes any further. Listen to me. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Why would Jesus do that? Because if Jairus would have gotten into doubt and unbelief, you know what would have happened? That little girl would have stayed dead. You know why she would have stayed dead? Because you cannot have doubt and miracles at the same time. Mark 6, 5. Jesus went to his own hometown, and it says because of their unbelief, say unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them except place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. Say he couldn't. Y'all, it doesn't say he wouldn't. Jesus wasn't offended. It says he couldn't because of their unbelief. They brought a demon-possessed child to Jesus' disciples. And, and, and Jesus came off the mountain in the mountain of transfiguration. He had just been up in this glory cloud. It's amazing. You can read about that. And he comes down to the bottom of this mountain, and there's these people saying, we brought our child who was demon-possessed to your disciples, and they could not cast the devil out. And Jesus looked at him and said, you unbelieving generation, how long must I be with you? Say unbelieving. Why couldn't they cast out the devil? Because of unbelief. It was unbelief on, on one or both sides of the coin. Either number one, the disciples were in unbelief. They didn't believe that they really could walk in the authority that Jesus gave them. Or number two, maybe the people looked at Jesus' disciples and they were like, ah, this is the B team, right? I don't think that you guys can really do it. And because of their unbelief, the miracle couldn't be performed. Amen. Can I tell you guys something like that? Don't ever get that, that position with your local church that you're plugged into. Don't ever get that position like, you know, we have these certain men, these certain women that and it's like, why does God seem to sometimes do things more through certain people? You know that there's not like they're not more anointed, they're not more called, they're not more chosen. You know what it really is most of the time? People's faith. People's faith. They say, well, if Brother Hagen laid hands on me, I could be healed. But all these other people, they're the B team and the C team and the D team, and because of their unbelief, there's no miracle. 
But if they would set their faith and say, hey, hold on, it's the same Jesus. It's the same anointing. And he said these signs will follow those who believe. The believer, they'll cast out devils. They'll lay their hands on the sick and they'll be healed. If you set your faith like that, guess what? You'll get miracles. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You can't have doubt and miracles. So he said because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them. Look at Mark eleven twenty three. I love this passage. This was Kenneth Hagin's favorite passage to preach out of, one of mine as well. I tell you the truth, you can say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and it will happen. Did you know that the Bible says as a Christian, we have authority to speak to mountains and command them to move? And it will say it will happen. Prayers are not meant to hit the ceiling and fall to the ground. Your prayers, your declarations are meant to be answered. Every time. Say every time. There's a whole nother world that exists that most believers don't even know about. Because all they know about is the religious hokey pokey Christianity where they never feel God, they never experience God, they never see miracles, they never see testimonies, and it seems like the God that's in this Bible is either not true, he's not alive, he's dead, this was just for the past. That is a false reality, my friends. There is a way, there is a revelation you can get into that's called faith where you can move mountains. But he said, but you must really believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. Say no doubt. No doubt. What happens if you have doubt? Then you won't get miracles and the mountain won't move. No doubt in your heart. Do you understand then that that's why Jesus confronted Jairus up front? Jairus, stop right now before you have another thought, before another word is said. Don't be afraid. Don't let doubt and unbelief settle in your heart. Just have faith. Hallelujah. So you can't have any doubt. Listen to this. Faith is the absolute certainty that what God says is true. Faith is the absolute certainty that what God says is true. One more time. Faith is the absolute certainty. What God says is true. If God said it, it's true. Period. I am absolutely certain that if he said it in the Bible, if he taught it, if, if the revelation that he's given in the word, what it says, that's what the reality is. What God says is true. Give you an example. Look at Hebrews 11.1. 1. I'm going to read it to you in the Amplified. It says, now faith is the assurance, or parentheses, look at this, the title deed confirmation. Say title deed. Faith is the title deed of things hoped for, divinely guaranteed. Can you say guaranteed? Y'all, I'm telling you that these words in this book are not farts in the wind. Hope it happens, maybe it'll happen, maybe it will, maybe it won't, I don't know. No, divinely guaranteed. You know, God divinely guarantees everything he's ever said in this word. So that means that if we're not seeing it, guess where the kink is? It's not with God. He divinely guaranteed he would do his part every time. Every time I will do my part, that the mountain moves, that every, everything that you decree. So if there's a kink, it's not with God. I wish most Christians would stop blaming God when we clearly read, man, I, Lord, 
If you wanted that mountain to move, it would move. And, and yet the whole time they're in doubt, they're in unbelief, they're in negativity, they reject the word, they're meditating on, on all of these negative reports, and the mountain doesn't move. And they say, I guess God didn't want it to move. I guess it's not true. There can be zero doubt. Faith is the absolute certainty that what God says is true. It says it's, it's the title deed of things hoped for divinely guaranteed. It's the evidence of things not seen. Say not seen. The conviction of their reality. Faith comprehends as a fact what cannot be experienced by physical senses. Faith comprehends as a fact what, can't be exper- or what cannot be experienced by physical senses. What does basically this mean? It means this. When you have faith, you're so confident that you have what you're believing for that it's as if you're holding the title deed in your hand. What it, let me simplify it even more. If you're believing for a house, say a house. Did you know if you're a Christian you can believe for a house? Well, I didn't know that. I thought I'd just get saved and go to heaven. Oh, there's so much more. <laughs> there's so much more. Say, let's say a house. You're believing God for a house. You're using your faith to possess a house. What faith is, is this realization that you couldn't be any more convinced that that house is yours if you were holding the deed in your very hand. You're like, I believe it, I believe it, I believe it, that even if I was holding the deed to the house in my hand, I I couldn't be any more convinced than I am right now. This comes from revelation. Hallelujah. This comes from a reality that what God says is true. Faith is the absolute certainty that what God says is true. Faith is you believe you already have the title in your hand before you ever see it in your hand. Amen. Can I tell you that if you never believe it, you'll never see it. Most people say that, well, I'll believe it when I see it. If you don't ever believe it, you'll never see it. Because faith is believing without seeing it. Well, why do you believe it without seeing it? Well, because I believe God's word over what I see. I believe God's word over what I feel. I believe God, God's word over the obstacle that seems to be coming against me. I believe that what he says is true and it supersedes. Therefore, I believe his word even above what I see, think, feel, or, an, or am experiencing. Right? So I want you to say this. Say, if there is doubt, it's not faith. If it's not faith... It's not happening. If there is doubt, it's not faith. If it's not faith, it's not happening. This is why up front, say up front, you must refuse to react in emotion and choose to respond in faith. What do you do when the mountain comes? When do you do when the bad report comes? When do you do when the obstacle comes? You refuse to to react in emotion, and you choose up front to respond to that obstacle in faith. What does God say? A mountain could be anything. Having faith is when that mountain comes, instead of reacting and crumbling and falling and complaining, no, you choose to say, hey, the Bible says I can speak to it. And command it to be removed. And if I believe the things which I say and do not doubt, I will have what I say. So faith is responding to that saying, mountain, move in Jesus' name. And then guess what? You believe that it, that it moves. 
Why? Because God said it would if you would speak to it. Are y'all getting this this morning? Hallelujah. If you begin in doubt and unbelief, you won't possess what you desire. So again, we're talking about this idea up front. Say up front. If you don't take a position of faith up front and you actually begin in that situation in doubt and unbelief, belief, you will not get what you desire. You won't possess it. Why do I say that? Look at James 1, 6 through 7. Be sure that when you ask him that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver. For a person with divided loyalty is unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. So guess what? You can't waver. You can't jump on the fence of faith and then jump back into doubt and unbelief and then get a confession of faith and then get a negative, doubting, unbelieving confession. You're wavering, and a person that is wavering shouldn't even expect to receive the thing that they're claiming they're believing for. So you need to reject fear, stand in faith. I want you to write this down. You need to understand this. Fear is a spirit we must reject. The thing about fear, you need to get this right now. Fear is not an emotion. Fear is a spirit. Where do we get that? That seems like a uber-goober, ultra-spiritual thing. No, I'm not making it up. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 2, 1-7, God has not given us a spirit, say spirit, a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power of love and self-discipline. So what does that tell you? That fear is not just a feeling or an emotion. It is a demon spirit. Fear isn't an emotion. It's a demon spirit. Did you know that scientifically there's only two things human beings are born being quote-unquote afraid of? Two things. Number one, loud noises. The human body naturally uh, uh, reacts to loud noises. If you were to take a a blowhorn in a baby's room and you know, it's going to freak it out, and it's going to start crying. So number one, loud noise is number two, the fear of falling. The, the body naturally reacts when you're falling. There's an adrenaline rush to catch yourself. Those are the only two things that a human being is actually designed to react to in what you could call quote-unquote fear. So what does that mean? Everything else is not natural. Are y'all following me this morning? So... Does anybody know what I'm talking about? This fear, this spirit. People deal with this. Anxiety just hits you. There's people that whenever you're confronted with a mountain or an obstacle or situation, it's like you can't even explain it. Anxiety hits you. You feel like the walls are closing in on you. You feel like you can't breathe. You feel like you can't think straight. You feel like, I just don't know what to do. I feel trapped, and you're worried. You're stressed out. You're beat up about it. Can I tell you, that's not natural. It's not an emotion. It's a demon spirit. Amen. It consumes you. You start thinking stuff like, it's just this overcoming presence of what am I going to do? What if I die? What if I lose everything? It consumes you. Again, that's not a feeling. That is a spirit. You know what? That's important. If you recognize the spirit of fear, you have to wage war against that spirit. 
You know why it's important that you recognize this? Because if the, then when the mountain comes, when the obstacle comes, when Jesus, that was what Jesus was doing. When Jairus got this report, your daughter's dead, Jesus was confronting the spirit of fear. Do not be afraid. Don't give in to those thoughts and that anxiety and that pressure that you're feeling like, oh, my gosh, it's too late. She's dead. I'm never going to see her again. He says reject that spirit. Reject fear and just believe. You have to up front reject the spirit of fear. When you start feeling that pressure coming in over you, you need to speak to it and wage war against it. Man, I've just been, I've been in a financial situation. I've been so stressed out, and it's just this thing that's enclosing on you. You need to open your mouth and say, I reject you, spirit of fear. Get off of me now in Jesus' name. I lose peace. I lose joy. I lose the presence of God. I lose faith right now. I reject this spirit, and I am choosing to stand and claim and stand on what the word of God says. So a conclusion with this part of the sermon, when you are faced with an obstacle in life, you must confront that obstacle up front with faith using the word of God. I want you to hear me. Stop running from problems and confront them. Stop running from financial problems. Confront them. Most people are just like, I don't even want to think about it. I don't want to look at it. I don't want to deal with it. And you're actually operating in fear. You're operating under fear. You're not called to run from mountains. You're called to confront it, stare it in the eye, speak to it, and tell it to move. Get out of my way. Man, why does it feel like my finances have been choked up? Tell the nasty, ugly, stupid, stinking devil, take your hands off of it. Get out of my way. I command this issue to be resolved in Jesus' name. You must confront that obstacle up front with faith using the word of God. Say the word of God. So, you know, you can't use the word of God if you don't know the word of God. Faith isn't just having nice thoughts. Well, it sure would be nice if God did. No, Jesus said in Matthew 7, those that build their life on my word is like a wise man that builds it on a strong foundation. When the wind blows, when the rain comes down, when the torrents rise, Although that happens, it will not be shaken. Amen. So in order to even possess faith, you have to have the word in you. You can't just have nice thoughts. You can't just have wishful, hopeful thinking. You got to know what God says about that subject, and you need to confront that obstacle with the word of God. I'm going to give you some stories of what we went through last year in many ways where we had to confront situations with the word of God. Oh, you're sick. You feel sick. You got this. You got that wrong with you. No, the Bible says by his stripes I'm healed. The Bible says that he took my sicknesses and removed my diseases. You confront it. You don't run from it. Amen. So, number one, what do you do when it's time to use your faith? You must reject fear, stand in faith. Number two this morning, write this down. What do you do when it's time to use your faith? Number two, you must remove sources of doubt and unbelief. You must remove sources of doubt and unbelief. Darn it, I closed my Bible. Go back to Mark 5. Y'all, I'm telling you right now, uh, we, what I'm telling you, I'm going to give you some testimonies. This ain't just speculative. This ain't just reading the Bible passages and telling you, in theory, this is how it works. We've seen this work. 
time and time and time again. In Mark 5, 37 through 40, it says, look at verse 37. So Jesus says, don't be afraid, just have faith. Then look what the very next thing that he did. Then Jesus stopped the crowd and wouldn't let them go with him, except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Why would he do that? He tells Jairus, don't be afraid, just have faith. There's this crowd of people around, around Jairus that just heard the same report. Jesus stopped them. Hey, stop, turn around, go home. You don't get to come with us. Why would he do that? He was removing sources of doubt and unbelief. He was getting Jairus away from people that would be walking next to him. Your daughter's dead. What are we going to do? They, you know, they got that, that scared look on their face. He didn't want, no, Jairus, look at me. Look at me. Do not doubt. Just have faith. You believe I can do it, Jairus? Then that's all I want you to look, that's all I want you to keep your eyes on right now. Jesus was removing sources of doubt and unbelief. How do we know this? Because you keep looking. Look at verse Let's see here. Verse 40. It says, so first he stops the crowd, tells them not, you can't come any further. Look at verse 40. When he, entered, when he enters into the home, verse 39, he went inside and said, why all this commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead. She's only asleep. The crowd laughed at him, but he made them all leave. Why would he make them leave? Because he was removing sources of doubt and unbelief. Why? Because if there's doubt and unbelief, the miracle can't happen. You want to laugh? There's the door. You want to be doubtful, unbelieving, love you, see you in heaven? There's the door. You have to remove sources of doubt and unbelief from your life. So let's talk about what, what are these sources of doubt and unbelief? What are these sources? Number one, I know I'm going to share a side with you of Christianity that a lot of people, especially my age, get so offended. Oh, my gosh, how could you ever say that? Jesus just went around accepting everyone, accepting everything all the time. Really? He, he just told a bunch of people, go home. That ain't really the Jesus a lot of people know, but in context, anyways, you must remove sources of doubt and unbelief. What are sources of doubt and unbelief in our life? Number one, people. Say people. In this passage, specifically in this context, the people around Jairus and Jesus were the sources of doubt and unbelief. And I actually need you to get this this morning because this will really help you. The devil will use people to get you to speak doubt and unbelief. Or I would say this, how does the devil sow doubt and unbelief into us? How is it that I can be so full of faith and then it seems like I go, I go to back to work all week, I go back to life all week, and by the end of the week I just feel like I don't got any faith at all. The devil uses people to sow doubt and unbelief into you. Look at Matthew 16, 22 through 23. Jesus is talking about as the Messiah, he's saying, I'm going to die, I'm going to be handed over to the Romans, I'm going to be spit on, mocked flogged, whipped, and then killed, crucified. But Peter took Jesus aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. 
Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me. Who? Satan. Did he say, get away from me, Peter? No, he said, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view and not from not from God's. Can I tell you that sentence alone? What do you need to do when you're trying to walk the walk of faith? Sometimes you need to remove yourself from people that only see things from a human's point of view. Let's just be realistic about this, John. Let's just be logical. Let's just bring this back down from cloud nine to, to planet earth. Let me ask you this question. Was Peter Satan? Was he Satan? I would say, well, you say yes, I would say no, but Satan was using Peter to sow doubt and unbelief into Jesus. Satan was using Peter. So what's kind of the point here? You guys know how the devil comes. The devil doesn't come, and that's like one of the worst things that Hollywood ever does, is paint this picture of all the idea that we have of the devil is the exorcist dude that's crawling on backwards and the head spinning around. And, and guess what? That's what we look for when we look for the devil. We look for the dark shadow, the obvious, evil, blatant thing that's like, obviously that's the devil, but the Bible says that he comes like an angel of light. He doesn't come with his head spinning around, vomiting green slime. He comes like an angel of light. That He didn't come to Jesus with a pitchfork and horns. He came to Jesus in the form with the voice of a concerned friend. Jesus, how could you? You can't go to the cross and die. You're the Messiah. And what Jesus was able to look right through it and say, the devil is trying to use you right now to take me off of the course in which God has set me. Get behind me. You've got to remove sources of doubt and unbelief. Here's my kind of concluding thought with that. You need to look around you. What is one of the main things you need to do when, when the mountain comes, when the obstacle comes, when, when you're having to walk by faith and not by sight? You need to look around you and say, who around me is just trying to feed me the human's point of view? Man, you're like, I'm believing God for a house with no loan from the bank. And then you got friends coming around you saying, you know, that's impossible. How are you going to get money to buy a house with no loan from a bank? Man, that is the voice of the devil trying to sow doubt and unbelief and get you double-minded. And if you're double-minded, you can't possess by faith. Are you all with me this morning? Is this helping anyone? So again, Satan could seem like a concerned friend or family member. But can I also tell you something? In that point, I said the devil will use people to try to get you to speak. Say speak. The devil can't use it till you speak it. If you don't let it come out of your mouth, it can't go to work against you. We'll talk about this point in a moment, but you just need to decide right now. I don't care how I think. I don't care what I'm feeling in that moment. I'm going to guard my lips and guard my mouth and not let myself become double-minded. Not let myself say I'm taking this position of faith, but then yet speak doubt, speak unbelief, speak negativity. I am not going to let that come out of my mouth because if it never comes out of your mouth, Satan never gets a legal right to use it against you. And there's so many ways that, I mean, we can explain how and why that is, but that's not really pertaining to this morning. So I want to ask you this. You need to look around. Are people 
Are the people that you have speaking into your life people of faith or sources of unbelief? There's two types of people that I want to mention to you. There's two types of people. You need to get the right kind of people in and the wrong kind of people out. Here's the right kind of people. There's two types of people. There's people who push you towards your miracle. Where do you get that? Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2 is the story of a paralyzed man. I'm not going to read it to you. I'm going to tell you about it. The, a paralyzed man, Jesus was in this home, and it was, there was a crowd around this home. It was so packed, nobody could even get into the home. But yet this paralyzed man had friends that carried him on a mat up on top of the roof, ripped the roof off, and lowered him down right in front of Jesus. So let me ask you this question. Do you have friends? Do you have people? The people that are influencing your life, are they people that are pushing you towards your miracle? Are they people that have actually been sent to destroy your vision? Hallelujah. So much of your life will be changed if you'll just change the people you surround yourself with. Amen. And let me tell you, does that mean that you just cut off and say, well, the people, they're doubtful, they're unbelieving, they're negative, that I'm just going to be more holy than thou and, and act like I'm better than you, have nothing to do with you? No, that's not what I'm talking about. But you need to guard who has influence in your life. Right? You need to surround yourself. And that's the most Christians' problem is they're only surrounded by people that are being used by the devil to destroy their vision. Man, I get on fire for Jesus, but then you go back home and live in a situation. You go back to a friend group all week long with people that want nothing to do with the things of God and the spirit of God and the message of faith and what God's spoken and told you to do. Guess what? They sow doubt and unbelief, and they get you double-minded, and then you end up, your faith gets shipwrecked. You've got to guard your faith. So then you got the people that will push you towards your miracle, and then there's the second group of people, people who are sent to destroy your vision. This is like Joseph's brothers. The Lord gave Joseph in the book of Genesis a vision that he would be the king over the land. And long story short, Joseph went and told his brothers, and what did they do? They sold him into slavery. They wanted to kill him. There's people, I'm telling you, when you get faith inside of you, I preached this Wednesday night, it's impossible to have faith and dream small dreams at the same time. When you get faith inside of you, your vision will begin to expand and you see what is possible for you to do and what's possible for God to do through you. That's not small vision. You'll have people that when you start talking like that, it makes them so fighting angry mad. Brother James talks around saying, you know what, I'm going to be a Christian millionaire. And you know when he says things like that, every religious devil from the woodworks comes out and starts foaming at the mouth. How could you say something like that? I'm telling you right now. You've got to surround yourself with people who push you towards your miracle, not people that are being used or sent to destroy your vision. So you've got to remove sources of unbelief, say people. Number two, how do you, the other source or of unbelief and doubt that you need to remove is thoughts. Say thoughts. Let me tell you this. What do you do when the mountain standing in front of you, when the obstacle, when the report, when the situation that you're in is requiring you to use your faith? Get this. You cannot meditate 
on doubtful and unbelieving thoughts. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, We cast down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought, say every thought, into the captivity to the obedience of Christ. You need to start recognizing false thoughts. You know, Kenneth Hagin actually said, I know I've mentioned him a lot this morning, but there's a difference because there's a difference between so many Christians, I'm sorry, let me back up. Christians feel condemned because of a thought that they had. There's sometimes that, you know, you may think something that you're like, where in the world? That kind of thought, where did that thought come from? That thought was not from me. Man, I guess that I'm just a horrible person because that was a horrible thought. What the heck? Where did that come from? Let me just help you. There's a difference between a bird flying over your head and a bird landing on your head and building a nest. Right? You may not be able to stop a bird from flying over your head, but you can dang sure prevent it from landing on your head and building a nest. That's the difference between having a passing thought that you bring into captivity versus letting that thought build a nest and meditating on doubtful and unbelieving thoughts. You need to recognize thoughts that when you're believing and you've taken a position of faith, any thought that begins to come in of doubt, of unbelief, of negativity, of discontentment, you need to recognize it and attack it. Cast it down. Sometimes you got to say nope out loud. Nope, that's not my thought. Yes, say nope. What do you start doing when you start worrying? Well, you know, we're all talking about negative thoughts. Worrying. What do you do when you start worrying? No, I refuse. Not going to do that. Not worrying about that. I'm not thinking about that. You take, it th- uh, you take that thought captive. I'm going to give you a key. I need to wrap it up here. Here's a key. Because your thoughts, again, your thoughts, the Bible says as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. Ultimately, whatever you, whatever dominates your thoughts, that's what, whatever's in, it's coming out. Jesus said from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So it's so important that your thoughts, that you get right thoughts. But I want to give you this, this key here. How do I get right thoughts? What you put before your eyes is what you're going to have in your heart and in your mind. If you're like, okay, if one of the keys of removing doubt and unbelief is taking control of my thoughts, how do I stop having so many negative, doubtful, unbelieving, disgraceful thoughts? How do I do that? What you put before your eyes is what you're going to have in your mind and in your heart. So what therefore must I do? I must guard what I put in front of my eyes. Matthew 6, 22 through 23, it says, Your eye is the lamp that provides light to your whole body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. Say your eye. What does that mean? What's your eye used for? It's used for seeing, right? It's used for focusing. So basically what it's saying is whatever, you, whatever your eye is set on, whatever you focus, whatever you're looking at, your life being filled with light will be determined by what you set your eyes on. When your eye or your focus, or what you're, th- what you're putting before your eye is healthy, unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light that you think you have is darkness, how deep that darkness is. So just get that point. Whatever you focus your eye on is what you're going to be full of. Here's the conclusion. I want you to hear this. You will have less rebellious thoughts if you feed on the word of God continually. 
You're like, I just feel like I'm always just, man, my thinking's wrong. How can you fix that? Feed on the word of God continually. Say continually. I want to tell you, me personally, I'm, I am always, 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 I'm listening to Kenneth Copeland, Kenneth Hagen, Bill Winston, Jonathan Shuttlesworth. I constantly in my life feed on the word of God. And guess what happens when you feed on the word of God? Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. As you feed on the word, you'll actually begin to replace doubt with faith. Faith starts to come. Here's something that you need to grab a hold of as well. Whatever you're facing, feed on the word in that area. Y'all, can I tell you that if I went to the doctor and they tried to tell me you got cancer, stage 2 cancer, you know what I would be doing? I would be reading Healing the Sick by T.L. Osborne, frontwards, backwards, sideways. I'd start listening to Oral Roberts. I'd start listening to Kenneth Hagin. I'd start listening to ministers like uh, Gordon Lindsay that was healed off of the bed of sickness, and I would just feed on the revelation of, of health. I would feed on the revelation that he took my sicknesses and removed my diseases, and I would try to counter that, that, that lie, that doubt, that mountain, that obstacle with faith. Amen. I'm telling you, you want to get a revelation of prosperity, finances, listening to Kenneth Hagan, listening to Kenneth Copeland, listen to Jesse Duplantis, listen to Bill Winston. Feed on the word in that area. Amen. Come to church here because you'll hear about it all the time. Praise God. All right, number three, what do you do when it's time to use your faith? We said you must reject fear and stand in faith. Number two, you must remove sources of doubt and unbelief. Number three, this is my final point this morning. You must water your faith with constant confession. You must water your faith with constant confession. Look at verse 39 of Mark 5. Jesus told Jairus, don't be afraid, just have faith. And then verse 39, he enters into the room and look what he says. The child isn't dead. She's only asleep. What was Jesus doing when he said that? The child isn't dead. He's, she's only asleep. Jesus was watering his faith with confession. You know, actually, I believe that Jesus was building two people's faith in that moment. Number one, he was watering Jairus' faith. He already told him, reject fear, just believe. Right now they've been walking, and now maybe Jairus has started to have these wavering thoughts. And so what Jesus did was he, he reiterated that statement of faith. Hey, Jairus, she's not dead. She's just asleep. Was she actually dead? Yeah, she was. Jesus said that with Lazarus. He said the same thing. If you've read about the raising of Lazarus, he said, Lazarus, we're going to go wake him up. And his disciples said, wake him up, Jesus. I thought he was dead. And he's like, okay, you idiots, he's dead. But I'm saying that, I'm saying that for your benefit. I'm not trying to say that he's dead because faith speaks a certain way. I mean, essentially, that's what he told them. He really did say, okay, fine, yes, yes, technically Lazarus is dead. But, but that's because you're only thinking from a human perspective. If you think from my perspective, from God's perspective, from faith perspective, you'll see that he's not dead. He's just asleep. All I got to do is go wake him up. Get up. That easy. Right? So Jesus was watering his faith with constant confession. I really believe this. 
Number one, he was trying to water Jairus' faith. And number two, I really believe this, that Jesus was watering his own faith as a human being, as a man. You know what he was telling himself? Because, guys, I'm going to tell you, the spirit of fear, what fear does, what that spirit does is it tries to make us afraid of certain words like cancer. If someone came in and said, oh, man, I got some allergies, you know, whatever, oh, okay, cool, you know, take some Claritin, no problem. But then you say the C word, what people's stomachs drop, people's heads start turning. Because of what we've seen, devastation that's come with that, that's the spirit of fear. But, you know, to God, those one's not bigger than the other. To God, one thing isn't harder than the other. And so what Jesus was actually saying by stating this is from a minister's perspective, he was telling, he was saying, it's going to be just like waking a little girl up from a nap. Right? Because he didn't even want to get into the religious hokey pokey. Oh, my gosh, she's dead. I guess i got to go in there and, you know, body slammer, and i got to do all this stuff to make it come to pass. No, he understood his authority. It's going to be as easy as waking her up from a nap. Little girl, get up, and she just wakes up because that's the position you have to set your faith in. Hallelujah. Say it's going to be easy. Do not let fear, the spirit of fear, use words to scare you. Amen. You need to, so under this point, water your faith with constant confession. I want you to say this. Say, if it's not faith, it's not coming out of my mouth. Live by that rule. If it's not faith, it's not coming out of my mouth. Just decide today, I refuse to let doubt and unbelief and negativity come out of my mouth. If it's not faith, it's not coming out of my mouth. I'm going to end by telling you story time here. I went through a time last year where my faith was tested. It was put to the test. And I was making specific confessions for months. And I want to tell you, once you seem to... Get victory, use your faith, and actually see the mountain move. Guys, I'm telling you, your faith will go to the whole, a whole nother level. There's things that I used to have to constantly water, 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 you know, keep my, to, to see it to come to pass. Where now in our life, it's like it just, it's just so automatic and easy because we, we stood and we, we stood against that test. We stood and faced that mountain and commanded it to move and, and, and rejected fear and removed sources of doubt and unbelief, and, and spoke faith, and watered our faith, and the mountain moved just like God said it would move, and when that happened, it's like our faith just went to a whole nother level. And so, for instance, for me, there was a time for several months last year that I would say this every day. I would go out and actually just repeat this, repeat this, repeat this. I would make this confession. I would say, I believe, so therefore I receive my healing for my body. I am healed today. Sickness of any kind has lost my address according to the word of the Lord. I went through a time where I was, and, and does anybody know that? Did anybody know that last year I was having problems in my body for a, for a, a while? Nobody would know that. You know why nobody would know that? Because I removed sources of doubt and unbelief. When you just start talking about your problems to everybody, you know what you're going to do? Attract people that just want to feed into it. I didn't talk about it. 
Instead, I, I would go out and just say that I believe, so therefore I receive healing from my body. I am healed today. Sickness of any kind has lost my address according to the word of the Lord. Guess what? The faith produced and the problems that we're having are gone. Amen. I would pray this over my daughter, Oakland. If you don't know, uh, you know, again, when, whenever Carissa was pregnant with our second daughter, the doctors told her, like, you got protein S deficiency, you got chromosome disorder, you got all this stuff. They tried to diagnose her with hypothyroidism. Basically, they said what's going to happen is you're going to form a blood clot in the umbilical cord, and that child's going to die in the womb. Can I tell you, I was in this church, it was like a Tuesday, when my wife called me, she went to a specialist in Tyler, and she said, this is what they're saying. You know what we had to do in that moment? Reject fear, stand in faith. Then we had to remove all sources of doubt and unbelief. And then we had to constantly water that faith, that seed of faith with, with confession. So what did I begin to do? We, you know, they told us, you're going to need to take all this medicine. If you don't, that child's going to die. She had had miscarriages earlier in our marriage before the Lord healed her thyroid. Y'all, the Lord medically healed her thyroid. She had to take medication, and she got this revelation that she was healed. And I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just telling you a fact. She got this revelation that she was healed. She saw what Jesus did for her. I remember the day she came home, and this was where my faith was still growing. She took that medicine, and she dumped it down the sink. And I'm sitting there thinking, are you sure? Like, oh, my gosh. Okay, you know. And I was honestly, because of my faith that was weak in that moment, I just thought, you know, this is what's keeping her from having miscarriages when we try to have children because that's what they had told her. Well, guess what? When she went back to the doctor months later, they tested her thyroid, medically documented, perfect. Went back again a year later, perfect, perfect, perfect. Off of the medication. The Lord healed her. But he didn't heal her that moment. He healed her 2,000 years ago when Jesus took those stripes. Guess what happened? She got the revelation of it and possessed it. Healing belongs to me. So they told us all of this, Oakland, you know, that, that, that child's going to die in the womb, X, Y, Z. I began to make these confessions. I would go out every day and say, I believe the word of the Lord. It is settled in heaven and on earth. That's important. You know that in the Bible, in the book of Deuteronomy, God promised there would be no miscarriages among you. Say no miscarriages. So as far as God's concerned, miscarriages don't belong to me. It is settled in heaven. It's settled in the Lord's account. So I said this. I said, I believe the word of the Lord. It's settled in heaven and on earth. Oakland will be born healthy. Destruction of any kind has lost her address. Oakland is disqualified from death in the womb according to the word of God. Carissa is disqualified from pregnancy complications according to the word of God. The blood of Jesus alone disqualifies the devil from touching Carissa or Oakland. And guess what? She had a supernatural pregnancy. Never took any of that. The baby was born just fine. In fact, I mean, there was just miracle after miracle after miracle. Her body was completely healed when she went into labor, and they began to run tests on her body. They're looking at these test results, and they're looking at the charts the doctors had given them from all the false negative reports that she had already received. They're saying, we don't see any of this stuff showing up in these reports that they had already given us. I don't know if that will excite you guys. I don't know what will. 
So when the doctor told us all these horrible things, we had to respond in faith, not react in fear, remove sources of doubt and unbelief. You guys remember when Oakland was, when, when she was pregnant, if you were part of this church, did you ever hear us say the doctor said this, this, and this? You never did. Not until after the baby came. I wouldn't say anything about it to anybody because I didn't want anybody sowing doubt and unbelief. Maybe you just need to take that medicine. Maybe you just need to do what they say. No, no. Over our church, I'll give you a testimony. Over our church, there was a point a year ago where our church, you know, we, we were doing a lot, outreaches, all kinds of stuff, and, and we had gotten down where we only had a few thousand dollars left in the bank account. And so, again, nobody would know that because I never said anything to anybody. Why? Why would I? Because it doesn't belong to us, Right? And so I made this confession. I would begin to water this confession every day. I would say, I believe I have received the things that I say. I said, my ministry will succeed. It is spiritually illegal and impossible for my ministry to fail and our bank account to run dry. Listen to that. It is scripturally illegal and impossible for my ministry to fail and our bank account to run dry. What do you do whenever you're starting to see finances diminish? Do you complain? No, you stand on the word of God. It is scripturally illegal for this account to run dry. It's impossible according to the word of the Lord. I said, I command you to fill up. Church, fill up. The devil and all devil spirits are rebuked from touching my ministry by the blood of Jesus alone. Our ministry will succeed and prosper according to the word of the Lord. You know what happened two months after that? We received a $25,000 check in this ministry. Hallelujah. Guys, in one month, our faith began to produce. We went from having like two, $3,000 in the bank account, the church account, to $40,000, just like that. Because we rejected fear, we stood in faith. We removed sources of doubt and unbelief, and we watered our faith with constant confession. Hallelujah. If that offends you, I pray it offends the living devil out of you because that's a get that religion out of you. This is the God that we serve. Hallelujah. Praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Well, we're going to end today close out the service. We got baptisms. But before I do, we're going to go ahead, ushers. Did you guys pass everything out? We're going to take up our tithes and offerings. We're going to pass these out. If you don't need it, just go ahead and put it beside you. That's fine. I want to make this very clear. Nobody in this room is under any pressure or obligation to do anything. Amen. Do what you like to do. Praise the Lord. So why we do that, I want Brother Jack's going to come up and he's going to share a testimony with y'all. Brother Jack, go ahead and come on up. Y'all give Brother Jack a hand this morning. So about a month ago, uh, I was approached by someone asking me to leave my current job and come to their company. And they made it sound very profitable. And uh, I was, I had made up my mind to go ahead and go with them. And when my current employer found out about it, the leadership contacted me said they did not want me to leave. They wanted to retain me. And they said if the door wasn't closed, they would make a counter offer. And they came back with an offer that was almost twice as good as what I was offered from someone else in order to keep me where I'm at. And so I'm going to stay in the current job that I'm in because I think God led me to that position and God blessed me by giving me that job and that I should um, 
I should uh, honor that by by staying with where I'm at and staying with what I'm doing. But on top of that, God has blessed me and blessed me and blessed me again. And I think that's because we are tithers and we're faithful and and we're still trying to um, learn more. We're still trying to absorb more. We're still trying to uh, do what we can do to grow in the spirit. And, and we're just we're just so blessed and we're so grateful and we're so happy to be part of this church. Hallelujah. Well, and I'll, I'll help reiterate some of my version. When he told me the story was that he started using his faith for promotion. And like out of nowhere, he said this promotion opportunity came from a different company to basically do what he was doing, but way more money. I mean, like they were offering him money, a sign-on bonus, all this stuff. And so it was like, wow, look at this. Look at faith. If faith is working, you know, we've set our faith for opportunity, and the Lord's answered it. And so that was like a testimony and a miracle in itself. Look what the Lord had done. But then he came back and said, well, my current job caught wind of that, and they liked me so much that they counter-offered and offered me even more than what the promotion was going to offer me to stay right where I'm at and do what I'm doing. Hallelujah. If you've been a part of this church, that's a major testimony because we've been decreeing promotion in Jesus' name. Every week, we command doors to open of opportunity, right? We command promotions to come. And that's just amazing. We always say, Lord, thank you that there's going to be testimonies this week. And guess what? They just keep rolling in. Say it works. Say faith works. Say the, the word works. Hallelujah. Well, if you're here or you're online, I'm going to quickly give you the ways that you can give if you would like to this morning, and then I'm going to pray over you, and we'll make some declarations. But if you're watching online and you'd like to give by check, you can send your check to P.O. Box 1282, Huntington, Texas, 75949. And you can make your check out to Revival House Church. If you'd like to give through credit or debit card and you're here in the service, we have a way that you can do that in the back. We have a square reader. If you would like to give, if you're in the service or watching online through Cash App, you can go to dollar sign, capital R-H-C-T-X. That's on the screen for you. Just type that in. Uh, if you'd like to give PayPal, you can do the at symbol R-H-C-T-X. If you'd like to text to give, just send your dollar amount to 936-209-111. One, two. That's 936-209-1112. You just text your dollar amount to that number. And if all of that was way too fast and complicated, go to www.rhctx.com forward slash give. That's our website. Click on that tab, and it'll every way from the check to the cash app, PayPal, text to give, all of that's available. And also there's a place on that website where you can give online. If you're like, I don't want to do the thing in the back, but I want to give that way, you can give online with your with your credit or debit card. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, are you guys excited to put seed in the ground this morning? Some of you guys, you're, you're members of this church, you tithe and, and you give to this ministry. You're connected with us. So I'm just going to pray, and I'm going to make some declarations. In Jesus' name, I decree it. That the curse is broken off of every giver, every covenant giver in this room. I decree promotion in Jesus' name. Doors of opportunity are opening up in Jesus' name. I want you right now 
you know, don't pray about money, but you com- you need to command it in Jesus' name. Whatever you're believing for, if it is promotion, if it is a certain amount of raise in your personal income, you say, my family needs a certain amount of money more every month in order for us to, to take care of things. I want you to just claim it. I want you to speak it out of your mouth right now. You don't have to scream it. Just whisper it. Just say it out of your mouth. And now after you say it, I want you to say this. I want you to say, devil, take your hands off of what belongs to me. I command every demon spirit to loose its grip off of my harvest. Now I want you to say this. Say, angels of the Lord, ministering spirits, go out and gather the harvest that's due to me and cause it to come forth. I receive it by faith in Jesus' name. Now, if you've been claiming something and you're believing you're going to see it, I want you to just say, it's working. Say, it's working in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Come on, y'all. Give the Lord a shout of praise. Ushers, go ahead and take it up. And I'm going to pray for you. Everybody else, stand to your feet this morning. Let me just pray a blessing over you. Lord, I thank you for every person in this room. They did not leave during this sermon, so they're going to be blessed. There's been plenty of people that get up and walk out because they're just like, ah, you know, they don't want nothing to do with it. Well, these people, they didn't do that. They're blessed. Lord, I thank you for breakthrough. I thank you that your word has penetrated hearts this morning and that the wheels have begun to turn. And some of these people that are here, they're like, man, I didn't even know that that was possible for me. Well, I'm here to tell you it is. God's not a respecter of persons. What he does for one, he does for all. Thank you, Jesus, that I don't care whatever whatever hole anybody's found themselves in, your word says that you take the beggar from the dunghill and you set him among the palace. I thank you, Jesus, that you're lifting people up out of poverty. You're lifting people up out of depression. You're lifting people up out of a bed of sickness. I thank you for miracles in their lives this week in Jesus' name. And I decree they are blessed. They are the head and not the tail, above and not beneath. And everywhere that they go and everything that they do shall be blessed this week. In Jesus' name, if you believe it and receive it, just give the Lord a shout of praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, y'all. I love you so much. We are baptizing right after church. We got a baptism, so don't run off. And then if you want to be a part of our vision meeting for evangelism, uh, if you were giving into that ministry or you're interested in being a part of that coming up, you, you stick around because we're going to have a meeting immediately after the baptism. Other than that, I love you. God bless you. You're dismissed. Have a great day. Lord, bless them for being hearers of the word in Jesus' name. If you would like to sow a seed or partner with this work that the Lord is doing, check out the description of this podcast or go to www.rhctx.com forward slash give. You can find all the ways to give on that page. Thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. Until next time, this is John Wallace.